It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. It's difficult to come to the end of this series simply because it's been such a delight. And every time I've come to the end of one of these series, there's a certain pang associated with it. At the same time, there's a, it's very satisfying. It's, it's like reading a good book. Uh, and if it was a well-written book and the storyline was satisfying and it ends with triumph, which of course every good story should, then it's satisfying, but at the same time, you really miss the characters. And you sort of hope that they write a sequel, even though you have no idea where the sequel even needs to go. It's just like you want to spend more time with the characters. And in a strange sense, that's what I feel in this is it's a rare thing in history, for my history and for anyone else, I've never heard of anyone doing what I'm doing with this series, to visit characters like this and to bring them back to life for a season. And so it's a rare thing. And you get the sort of the sense that it may not happen again. And I don't know, that's sort of sad at the same time. I mean, what's the sequel? <laughs> how, do, how do you have a sequel to Stanley Dale who just died in the Wickboon Bowl with a hundred arrows shot through him. What's the sequel? And we could all say in one voice, heaven. <laughs> and we're excited about that, aren't we? This is, this is a very, very precious message to me because it's, in a sense, the point. The point of why we do what we do, why we sacrifice the way we sacrifice, why we say yes to Jesus. And it's not just the warmth of his presence that he attends us with and the grace that he showers upon our life and the closeness and the intimacy we get with him. It's also that he is deserving of a reward. He is deserving of a people. What he has done is for more than us, and we see that. And so we say, yes, Lord, I will go. It would be a privilege to represent your name. And then what is the result that we're after? We're after a changed world. We're after changed lives. We're after populating heaven with more children, if you will. And so we desire to see Jesus receive the reward of his suffering. And that's what's so precious about this, is when you see loss, and the last episode was a very unique one, where we're, we're staring at the, the extraordinary death of Phil Masters and Stanley Dale. Wow, and it is moving to me, and it's, it stirs me. And so now, what is the use of that? And many, the devil will always whisper, what a waste, what a waste, when Mary of Bethany pours out her spikenard. What a waste. Is it a waste? It is never a waste when we pour out our life for Jesus Christ. And yet, in the natural realm, you can have a passage of time where it sure does seem like it is. And that's why this message is so unique and important. Part 23, daring to care is Kusaho. So, you know, I, I, last message was daring to die as Stanley Dale in the daring to do as Stanley Dale series, right? Daring to die as, I'm sorry, daring to care as Kusaho. Kusaho is one of those heroes in this grand drama that is unexpected, sort of an Esther-like character. You would never expect just this young girl to suddenly rise in importance in the grand story of the Jews. And yet God, for such a time as this, is going to reserve this young woman and set her apart in a profound way that in the darkest moment, suddenly this one character is going to rise and change the entire storyline. And of course, that's the story of Esther, but that's also, in a strange way, the story of Kusaho. And there's a lot of characters. There's, there's actually quite a few Kusaho characters in this, but Kusaho is a very, very precious one. He's a Yali man. And the Yali, if you, you know, haven't followed the whole series, are possibly one of the most difficult people groups in world history, maybe, to reach with the gospel. They are not just violent, they are not just murderous, they are not just demon-possessed uh, in so many regards, but they are hostile towards anything that would violate their demonic possession. And so it's an extreme retaliation against gospel tears, 
as opposed to one of, there's a lot of other tribes in Erie and Jaya, Papua New Guinea that are welcoming to a, to a certain degree because, hey, well, you're going to trade with us. We can get your axes. We can get this. Oh, this is nice. I've never tasted this salt before. And so they're intrigued by it, and then they get medical supplies. And so there's a sort of a, a friendly uh, way that you can start to break into the culture. The Yali culture is a lot harder. And uh, so this is Stan Dale's assignment, and it's been a tough one. And so after all of these years of laboring, we see the end result of Standale actually being murdered by the Yali people. And it's a very uh, moving story of how that man died. As, as I think the, the summary of the last message was, I want to live as Stanley Dale died. And I still would say that. that is, that's a very moving thought to me. But I want to dare to care as Kusahal. So trying to get perspective in the dark. You know, it's, it's a tough thing when all the lights go out and you're trying to get perspective. If you've ever woken up in the middle of the night and felt disorientation, it's a weird feeling. It's hard to get perspective. It's hard to get oriented. It's hard to sense context in your life. And the same thing is true spiritually when the lights go off and darkness seems to swallow you it's very hard to see straight. And this is, in a sense, what I would say is a summary of what we're going through in our culture right now. A lot of Christians are dizzied. They have uh, dust in their eyes. Uh, and so they're trying to feel around. It's like, now what's true? What, what's not true? And, and as a result, it's hard to have a strong response to the encroaching evil because you're still trying to get your own balance. And this is what's happening in this storyline too. When Stanley Dale and Phil Masters are murdered, it sends shockwaves through the missionary community uh, on, on this island of Papua New Guinea, which would make sense. But this is such a violent test. test. Am, I, am I going out in an extreme way or just a small way? Small way? Okay, we'll keep going. If, if it happens again, why don't we have that microphone ready up here? So... Uh, it is, it is such an extreme attack that it, it causes a shudder. Even, for, even those that know the value of martyrdom and know the significance of it and are willing to say, you know what, that is so powerful to see them willing to lay down their life to reach these people. It's still, if you were a missionary and you recognize that uh, they just, I mean, everyone's willing to spend their life, but uh, <clears throat> wow, that's quite the way to spend your life. And so getting perspective in the dark is a very, very challenging thing at times. Here's Don Richardson from the book Lords of the Earth. He is going to visit the valley. He's going to be sent in to sort of investigate, and he has these officers with him. So he's actually going along as the peacekeeper because these governmental officers that are coming in uh, are ready to bring judgment. Okay, they want to apprehend those that participated in the murder, because this is a murder under Indonesian law now. And so Indonesia, the Indonesian government has begun to creep over and is beginning to take control of this island, and they're going to start working law into it. Well, these are people that have never even seen outsiders before, let alone heard their laws. They don't speak their language. They've never seen guns. And so everything that's about to happen is only going to create an even greater instability. But so who's going to come along? Don Richardson comes along because he is going to beg for mercy for these people. He is going to stand as a peacemaker. It's like, please, don't kill any. That's only going to create greater hostility. I know these people, and I know them well. They will retaliate, and they will probably die to the last man uh, before they allow you to just take them away in your plane. And so... This is in that journey, and this is uh, Don Richardson talking. I knelt first among the arrows where Phil had lain and picked up one of his well-worn trekking boots. The Yali had not known how to untie the laces. They simply hacked his boot from his feet. I thought back to the day when Phil pleaded on our conference floor for mission approval to stake out a new claim for Christ in these wild valleys beyond Ninia. I remember the day I saw him kiss Phyllis goodbye and leave with his hand-picked Donnie team. To 400 weeping Donnies on the Karabaga airstrip, he gave a cheery wave that said, dry your tears, beloved. You have the gospel. They don't. It had been a very costly decision. Phil would say it was worth it, even if the Church of Christ were never planted here. 
Let me read that line again because that's a powerful line. Phil would say it was worth it even if the church of Christ were never planted here. For the splendor of Christ just to make the attempt was a privilege worth more than life itself. It was a privilege. What if the church of Christ is never even planted here? It's a privilege to even try for his name, for his glory. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a robust attitude right there. I walked 50 yards further to an almost identical bower where another hundred arrows pointed with soul-wrenching emphasis to the place where Stan had died. My mind drifted back, reliving for a moment my first conversation with Stan. We were walking together across a hillside above Carabaga, the wind in our faces. This is a story I read earlier in the series, and I said I don't want to give a spoiler alert, uh, but it sort of was. Stan, I said, I hear that you have a, great, have a wealth of great poetry stored in your memory. Please recite for me the one poem that has molded your life more than any other. Stan paused, turned, looked at me, and recited, If. That's the Rudyard Kipling poem. With stunning intensity. Then he paused again and after a moment said, But let me add something else, Don. I've got to the place where mere words, no matter how fine, leave me cold. All I want is the reality of knowing Christ. Enjoy it, Stan. I whispered over the ground where he died. Enjoy that reality to the full, forever. When all goes dark. So I have a little subline on this uh, screen. When all goes dark. I mean, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? When all goes dark. I mean, that, that just doesn't sound like a healthy situation. But look at my little subline. God does his very best work. All right, guys, we look no further than the cross itself. The lights turned out. I mean, can you think of a darker moment in all of history? I mean, even the sky grew dark, right? A little earthquake. Temple veil rents in two. I mean, this is looking bad. I mean, it looks like the world's starting to crumble. Jesus, our Messiah, breathes his last. A bloody pulp of a man. Look how they treated the one God sent to save us. That's a dark moment. We have a tendency not to look at it as a dark moment. Why? Because we have our new covenant glasses on. However, you take those off, and that's a dark moment. That's why I would say, let's just always wear our new covenant glasses. And as a result, we can stare at the darkest, most formidable moments in all of Earth's history and say, God has it in control. Look what my God is going to do in this situation. Watch. Just watch. So God does his very best work. Can you think of a greater work that God has ever done but in the darkest moment of history when Jesus died? That is the greatest work he ever did. And so when the lights turn off, God goes to work. He's doing something in those moments. Our job is to have confidence and faith in those moments that he is in control. That's our job. Our job is to remain believers when the lights go out. So let's turn out the lights, and this is sort of what's going on for all the missionaries on this island. Stanley Dale is shot through with over 100 arrows. He is cut up into small pieces lest he resurrect from the dead. That was actually their concern, is this guy's going to resurrect. He has some weird power going on. So they literally are going to hack Stan and Phil into small pieces. I mean, it's terrible. And if you, if you were to be a missionary and just sort of process through, imagine being a wife of a missionary and he's like just trying to process this through. This is disturbing, okay? But it gets worse. The Yali Valleys are destabilized by governmental retaliation to the killings, and it appears extreme violence is now the new order of the Dark Mountains. So in and through this police uh, investigation, things don't go well, okay? The Yali aren't uh, too receptive of this group coming in, and they're going to, they don't understand the language, there's no communication that is effective, and as a result, the policemen end up using violence and which then kills uh, five of the Yali. And as they're running, because they were so scared, they didn't know what this contraption was, this, uh, I, don't know if it was I don't know if it was a helicopter or a plane, but they're not getting in it. They thought that meant you know, they were going to be uh, you know, killed somehow. And so they were just running for their life. They don't recognize what it means to be apprehended and put in jail. Uh, that didn't make any sense to them. And so as a result, they're running for their lives and they're getting shot down. The Yali are witnessing this, and they're seeing, again, these foreigners that are treating them this way. And so instead of ministering the gospel of grace, the gospel of love, the gospel of peace, it seems that it's now getting worse. And so if you're a Christian missionary, you're just like, this is literally the worst that could happen. 
Those two men just laid down their lives in love for this people. We do not want to spoil that with violence right now. And so this is a very, very challenging season for the Christian missionaries. Don Richardson uh, says this, as news of the death of Phil and Stan spread to every corner of the Christian world by letter, telegram, newspaper, and radio, messages of condolence began to reach Pat and Phyllis in an increasing volume. So Pat, Dale, and Phyllis Masters. Tens of thousands of people in many lands began to pray for the Yali tribe, people who would not otherwise have known of the tribe's existence. The Seng Valley suddenly became one of the most prayed for valleys on earth. That's pretty cool. Now at last, many predicted, with such, so much prayer concentrated upon the Yali people, surely they cannot long remain resistant to the gospel of Christ. Something will have to give. At the same time, from the Helic and the Balim Valleys, from Yali clans north of the Snow Mountains at Angaruk, and from more distant areas in lowland swamps south of the mountains, came rumors that Wickboon warriors, that's the very valley that uh, Stan and Phil were killed in, was the Wickboon Bowl, uh, rumors that Wickboon warriors, exulting over their success in killing Phil and Stan, were now daring neighboring peoples to follow their example and kill all Duongs, all foreigners, basically, within their reach, including those who called themselves the government, whatever that was. <laughs> in their mind, they're like, and that government you know, needs to be dealt with too. It doesn't matter. Don't be intimidated by them. We just killed them, and you know, we're fine. We're still standing. So whatever your, your superstitions are that these are godlike characters, we just killed them and we're still standing. So it's empowering and emboldening evil. That's the last thing we want. It's like, God, no, 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 this is going the wrong direction. When your servants die, it's supposed to go a certain way. Let's give you the script, Lord. Okay, so Stan and Phil are killed. Then the, the church all over the world starts praying. These men repent humble themselves and say, we were wrong, share the gospel with us, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Instead, it seems to go even more the opposite direction. So this is right after five of the Yali are killed. And Don Richardson and a man named Frank, I forgot his last name, are hiking out and they're leaving behind this terrible situation. And as missionaries, they're two fellow missionaries that the only reason they came was for peacekeeping. And they feel like they failed. It didn't matter what they said. It's like they couldn't stop these irate police officers from doing what they were trained to do. So as Frank and I topped the pass leading back into the helic, we paused and looked back down into the Wickboon Bowl far below. Can you think of any way, Frank, I asked pensively, that these impossibly ruptured relations can ever be healed? Frank shook his head. No, Don, I can see no way. Apart from some unexpected act of God, the door to this valley will remain closed for two or three generations. Okay, that's a pretty dark moment, especially after so many, so many lives have been spent now. I mean, we have two Yali that have already died as martyrs, and we have two men, missionaries from the West, that have died. And in an extreme way because of love in sharing the gospel. And now we have this seeming chasm between this people and the gospel because the government came in and did what the government does and sort of meddled in the whole situation. It's just like, could you just leave it to us? We're happy dying, but don't come in and, and disturb the clear message that we have come to serve, come to love, and come to lay down our lives. And it seems like it's ruptured. And don't you love a statement like that? That's what we call a foreshadow uh, in, a, in a movie storyline. Apart from some unexpected act of God, right? And you're like, wait a minute. So there is a possibility? Well, yeah, but it would have to be an unexpected act of God. See, that's just a classic uh, foreshadow, right? In fact, when we're watching uh, a movie or something or reading a book, I'll always yell out, foreshadow! You know, and all the kids know exactly what I mean. Yep, that, that'll have to pay off somewhere along the line. <clears throat> So Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This is a principle of the kingdom of heaven. When it appears that darkness is reigning, when it appears that sin has the upper hand, this is actually the hour in which grace thrives. And that's one of the reasons why we need to, in this hour, when it appears that the church is weak, it appears that the gospel message is languishing, and it appears that sin has the upper hand, do we remember the kingdom pattern? 
Do we remember the cross? Do we remember that when the lights go out, God does his greatest work? Right now, in the Sang Valley, the lights have gone out. I mean, and it's pretty dark. And if you're a missionary, and you're, you're basically fearing for your life, uh, because there's a violence, a trend towards violence that is starting to arise and erupt in and amongst these tribal groups. It's like we've been fearing these duongs, or some groups call them tuons, and, but now we realize that they're mortal like we are. But the only reason we've allowed some of them to stay with their hostile messages towards our spirit, uh, God, in, in, to the Yali, was the Kembu spirits, is because we feared them. But what if we didn't fear them? And so you see, you see this marshalling of the powers of darkness right now. Where's God? Hey, God, where are you right now? We need you. Doesn't that sound like a familiar prayer that's been on our lips? December 31st, 1968. So Stan and Phil are going to be murdered three months before this in September. This is three months later. It's not that long of a passage of time. However, I guarantee you, if you talk to any of the missionaries that lived during those three months, they would say it felt a lot longer than it probably was. This was a very unstable time. And you know what's going to happen in December uh, 31st, 1968? The tragic loss of six more. I don't know that we can handle that. I mean, it's already dark, but to have it go darker, oh, God, I don't know that we can walk through this. So I'm going to summarize it very quickly. Uh, There's a group of missionaries, a family uh, known as the Newmans. They're a missionary family, uh, just like the Richardsons or just like the Dales, just like uh, uh, the Masters family, and they have four kids. And they're being flown uh, into a location, which I don't remember what location they were being flown to, uh, from a younger pilot that wouldn't typically have been assigned to this, but because of the death of another missionary, he, he got the assignment to fly them in. And it's, it's a lot of fog, and it was a very, very dangerous situation that he found himself in. And it is ultimately going to lead to a crash, and that's what I'm going to describe here. With the right wing gone, Mike Papa Hotel, that believe, believe it or not, that's the name of the plane, Uh, whiplash downward in a spew of high-octane gasoline. The left wing was ripped off by another tree in the tail section just behind the cabin was snapped off by a 70-degree slope of flinty shale. The fuselage screeched down over the shale and slammed against the hedge of young trees, preventing it from plunging into the Sang River. Do you guys remember the Sang Valley, the Wickboon Bowl? You know where this is happening, where this plane is dropping? Right where Stan and Phil were killed. So out of this entire island of Papua New Guinea, this guy gets lost in the plane. He can't see. He thinks he's in a different valley than he is. And then his plane goes down. And where does it crash? I mean, strangest thing, but it crashes right there. Not in the exact spot they died, but right near it. The wall of shredding aluminum died under the explosive whoosh of a gasoline fire. Cracking flames jetted through the control panel and burst in through the two ruptured doors, incinerating, melting. Say it isn't so. Whoa, whoa, God, we've already had enough pain here. But to have an entire, I mean, there was just another missionary somewhere else that died. I don't know what they died from. It could have been just death, you know, old age, right? But we have a lot of missionaries. You know that sort of that fragile feeling that you get every now and then? I have had so many reports of people passing away in the past weeks. I mean, it's just like odd. It's like, okay, it's that fragile feeling. And good, strong people. It's like, God, we don't have that many to work with to start with here in the valley. It's a big deal to get a missionary family to come all the way from the West to leave everything behind and dedicate their life to missions. You could easily steer a plane unto health. I mean, you're, a, you're God. Why? And that's the classic question that we have a tendency to ask. Why? Nine-year-old... Now, I, I don't want to give away something too quickly, but this is a, an extraordinary story. Sorry, that is somewhat of a spoiler alert too. So this family has four children. This plane is going to incinerate. Okay, I mean, it's just literally going to <laughs> incinerate. There is no hope of anyone getting out. And yet, something is going to happen. Nine-year-old Paul Newman, that was his name. I mean, if you can believe it, Paul Newman. 
sitting far in the back of the cabin, saw the pilot and his own family engulfed. He unbuckled his seatbelt, his flames hissed toward him, blocking his escape through the doors. He looked behind him and saw a gaping hole where the tail section had been. Frantically, he squeezed out through a tangle of broken cables, sliding, rolling, crawling, and finally running. He escaped barely ahead of the spreading inferno. Whew, we have a storyline here, guys. Now, if you were a mom, a missionary mom, who's very familiar with the instability of this island at this exact time, and you knew where you had landed, and you knew that your son now suddenly was separated from everyone who could speak his language, everyone that could protect him, they had just died. How would you feel as a mom, knowing your son is alive, praise God, but where? He's in and amongst some of the most deadly, head-hunting cannibal tribes that have a vengeance currently against any white person. I mean, this is about as, I mean, you could say it's getting worse, not better, right? Loss, loss, and more loss. And now a nine-year-old boy is lost just a stone's throw from where Stan and Phil were brutally murdered three months earlier. So Paul, the nine-year-old, he has no idea where he's at, none. In fact, to make the story even a little more foggy, he wears glasses and his glasses are lost in the plane. So he can't see very clearly. I mean, everything about this is like sort of a destabilizing type of feel. Uh, Paul had no inkling that he was climbing a hill only 800 yards downstream from the place where Stan and Phil spent their last night. Or that hundreds of eyes watched him now from lofty mountain ridges. Eyes of people who three months earlier hounded Stan and Phil to death and who two months earlier lost five of their own number to guns of patrolmen. In the normal course of Yali tradition, those people would relish a chance to exact vengeance for their five dead brothers, especially upon one lone unarmed figure. Okay, guys, so if we're a betting people, we're, what are we betting with? How, how are we going? How, what, what, how's Paul going to fare in this situation? This is just disaster. Or is it? In other words, we have ourselves a situation that we could call an act of God. You see, God is leveraging all of these things. What looks like darkness, what looks like defeat, what looks like just death is actually the foundation or the groundwork or the soil for resurrection life. God is doing something. He's, he's telling a story that very few of us would ever come up with. Okay, This is about as strange of a storyline as you could ever come up with, and yet this is what was needed to win a people. Then Paul saw the bow and arrows. I'm skipping a lot, by the way, guys. You need to read the book, The Lords of the Earth. I mean, it is so good. Then Paul saw the bow and arrows in the man's hand, and he started with fear. So this man is going to come out of the woods. He's so intrigued by what he's seen. He's watching Paul, and he's moved with, I know it's going to sound strange, but compassion. This man is a man named Kusaho. Kusaho was the one that begged, if we were to go back in the story, you'd recognize his name has been mentioned earlier. He begged the young warriors not to touch Stan and Phil. And he said, we don't know what they represent and how do we know that they are not trying to help us, basically. And who are we to come to such quick judgment? And won't that judgment return on our heads? And of course, then he sees, finds five of his Yali warriors, his, his tribe killed because of it. So he's constantly entreating, saying, see, this is what you brought upon us. He looks at it as judgment from the spiritual realm. He doesn't look at it as just being upset with the duongs. He looks at it as we brought this upon ourselves. And he has been desiring an opportunity to make amends with the duongs, to show them that, no, we actually don't want to fight with you. This is his desire, but he's, he may be the only one in the entire Yali community that feels it, and so what does he find but Paul crying? And his heart is rent over this. And so he comes out, of course, not realizing that maybe coming out with a bow and arrow isn't the best way to approach someone. The killing of Mr. Dale and Mr. Masters was still fresh in Paul's mind. Instinctively, Paul held, held, out, held his hand out in front of him and cringed. No, mister, he pleaded, don't shoot me. Kusa understood not a, Kusaho understood not a word, but the gesture was plain. He laid down his weapons and held out his hands, palms up. Paul relaxed. Kusaho looked over his shoulder, afraid that his brothers might see the boy and return to kill him for Kumi's sake. But the mist hid everyone else from view. 
How very, very strange, Kusaho mused. After my friends killed the two duongs, I wished I had welcomed them into my own yogwa, that's their homes, and tried to protect them from the savagery of my own people. Now, so unexpectedly, I have opportunity to do what I wanted to do before, protect a duong. A little boy duong this time. It's as if someone understood my wish and arranged to fulfill it in this strange, strange manner. Don't cry, little boy, he said to Paul, taking him by the hand. Don't cry. I'm going to take care of you. The provision for this little boy is so miraculous. And the fact that God had already prepared this man who grew up amongst the worst of witchcraft is startling. It really is. And I think it's startling even to history as we continue to unfold the story. It's like, who is this man? And how did you end up in this Yali village at this time in history? Because you don't fit the pattern for Yali for generations and generations and generations. He's an anomaly in the system who is there at this exact hour in history. It's extraordinary. It really is. So as Paul trembled with cold, Kusaho slipped an arm around his shoulder and looked straight into the small face, wet with teardrops and rain. Where have you come from? Kusaho asked in the only language he knew besides the language of love. I have no idea what your world is like or where it is. If I knew where it was, I would try and take you there. And so at this exact, well, at, at a certain moment, he's actually going, the, Paul's going to say something about Mulya, which he, he thought this was Mulya, or he needs his parents, or his, his, the people that would know him would be in Mulya. He didn't know what Kusaho was saying, so Kusaho is going to conclude that he wants to go to Mulya, which is true. But it's just funny because they, they didn't understand each other, but he's still going to gather that, and which is actually where he wanted to go. Of course, it doesn't really help because Kusaho has no idea what Mulya is, right? So we're in somewhat of an impasse. I mean, how do you help this little boy? You have no idea where he came from because he came from the sky, right? And you don't speak the same language, but I don't, it's, it's a beautiful story. It really is. So just, and I'm going to skip massive portions of it. I'm really sorry to do that, but the point isn't necessarily just the story, it's the end statement on the matter. So the uh, rescue team is going to come in. They're going to realize that there is no response from this plane from Menno, the pilot, for quite a long time, an uncomfortable amount of time. So they begin to send out search and rescue. And sure enough, uh, they're going to find the wreckage. On the top of the hill, there's Paul waving his hands, and they don't see him. <clears throat> I found the wreckage, he radioed, and missionaries listening by a hundred trans receivers throughout Erie and Jaya breathed prayers of gratitude. And tensed in horror as they heard the pilot continue. What is left of the aircraft is badly burned, and the wreckage is located right in the center of the upper Sang Valley, only a few hundred yards downstream from Stan and Phil's last campsite. How incredible, we thought, as we heard the news at Kumur far to the south. So all the missionaries are listening in to this report, and they're just like, Oh, we found it. Whoa, it's incinerated, and it's right near where Stan and Phil died, which means they can just picture all the tribe coming down and taking their bodies. And what these tribes do with those bodies isn't pleasant. So it's just like this horrifying realization. Of the dozens of valleys a lost pilot could enter by mistake along the southern face of the Snow Mountains, why did God allow Menno, that was the pilot, to enter that valley? I remembered the William Cowper poem Stan used to quote so often. In fact, I could almost hear his voice repeating it. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. I shuddered as I imagined Yali cannibals dragging Jean or, or Lois or Menno or those four delightful children out of that smoking wreckage. And just the day before the crash, the Newman family shared a meal with us at Kumur. We prayed together for safety as they continued their journey. And now this, this horrible tragedy. Unbelievers would scoff and say, where was your loving God? Has not the Almighty committed a heinous blunder toward people who loved and served him? Can't you just sort of feel it? You know, now recognize, there is something happening in the story that you know they don't. They don't know that Paul escaped. And even if they did, I don't know that that would comfort them right now, right? And so as a result, you know about Kusaho, they don't. And so this is a very unstable time. And what is demanded? Lord, we trust you. We trust that you are good. We trust that you are faithful. Lord, I prayed, struggling against unbelief. I don't believe you make blunders. 
somehow God confirm the reality of your providence in this tragedy and encourage us who remain to carry on your work. He was, in fact, already doing just that and far more wonderfully than any of us could have dreamed. See, God is always at work, and even though we can't see it, and even though we can't see Paul Newman escape out the back of the plane, even though we can't see the movement of grace upon Kusaho to prepare him for this encounter, God sees all of those things. And there are things right now in our world that we cannot see. And if we listen to the devil's news report, he'd just say, yeah, more dead, more dead. God sure did a heinous blunder here, didn't he? Boy, where's your God when you need him? I mean, staring at the cross would have been a really hard thing if you didn't have faith in resurrection. If you don't really understand that when Jesus says that he's going to be taken into the hands of sinners, he's going to be crucified and die and be buried and then raised again in three days, if you don't have that little final caveat, this is a tough moment. Some of them had that caveat and still it was a tough moment because they didn't quite believe it. They didn't have a grip on it. And that's the way it is for many of us. We're hearing the truth that God is faithful, that he turns all that the enemy means for evil into good. Uh, we, we understand that, yeah, yeah, yeah. However, we don't have a grip on it. Do we understand that when Jesus says in three days he will rise again, that he means it? He actually will do just that. So when it goes dark, do we have a firm grip to say, watch what my God will do? Watch. This is when he does his best work. And right now in the world, it'd be really good if we rose up as, as a church and said exactly that. This is when my God does his best work. So imagine what this would have been like. Paul sees the, the plane coming in, and, it see, and he's waving. They're radioing, saying, we see the wreckage, but they're not looking for a survivor. They, they aren't. They actually are presuming everyone died. So Paul saw the aircraft departing. Despairing, he sank down on the rock and buried his, hands in his, fa his face in his hands. They came so close, and now they're gone away again, he sobbed. The sight of the boy's despair was too much for Kusaho who still hovered atop a high ridge like a guardian angel. So Kusaho actually separated from him because he didn't want them, he didn't want the plane to think that he was going that he was holding him hostage. So he actually hid in the woods even though he didn't know how to tell Paul that. It's like I can't stand with you because I don't want to harm you. And so he actually is like a guardian angel uh, hiding watching. Holding his bow and arrows high above his head, he raced down the mountain trail shouting, don't cry, little boy, I'm coming back. I'll stay right beside you. Let them shoot me if they want to. Moments later, his arms were around Paul again. Don't be sad, they'll come back again. Listen to this, I added this in, not because it contributes anything, but this is just one of my favorite lines. They'll come back again, but even if they don't, I'll take care of you. You'll learn to enjoy our food, and if your clothes wear out, I'll get you a gourd and put a hundred loops of rattan around you. Then you'll be a splendid young man indeed. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines in the book right there. Just picture, you know, of course, Paul just hears, wah, 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 right? But I thought that was great. We'll get you a gourd. Imagine uh, any of the guys in here hearing that. It's like, if your clothes wear out, hey, look, we can get you dressed like a yolly man, and you'll be a splendid uh, man indeed. So the plane, the search and rescue team is going to come back to uh, get the bodies and to deal with whatever's going on there. So they know where the, the plane is. So they return and they get the bodies in bags. They're surprised that they're still there, right? But they get the remaining, the remains in the bags and they're trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. Remember, this is a death trap for them. So they are literally pulling away. I don't remember, I think it's a helicopter that they came in on and then they're, they're leaving as quickly as they arrive. Paul is literally running for his life trying to get down there and they're flying away already. Could you imagine? I mean, this is like the tension of a movie, right? But at, before he goes down, this is literally uh, what happens. Come with me. This is Paul talking to Kusaho. I want you to meet my friends, the boy urged. I want them to see who it was that took care of me. Kusaho thought Paul wanted him to get in the helicopter and go away with him to Mulia. Saddened because the boy he loved was about to leave him, Kusaho sighed. If only I dared go with him. Paul pulled more urgently, and Kusaho followed him for a few steps, his heart torn in two directions. 
But his brothers came running and forcibly restrained him. Shoo, they said to Paul, run down to your friends. We won't let you take our brother away from us. Paul gripped Kusaho's hand one last time and then ran down the hill. So I know I'm skipping quite a bit here, but they're going to be pulling off and one of the Yalis is going to turn around in the helicopter that came from a different uh, valley and say, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, someone in clothes running down the mountain. And so they're literally going to stop. They are totally shocked that there is a survivor out of this. And so, of course, Paul is going to be uh, united. But then one of the key things that transacts is, how did you stay alive? And Paul's going to say, a, a man took care of me. And so then through translation, they're going to have their other Yali guy ask who it was that took care of him. And the answer is going to come back, Kusaho. So they're in this sort of startled situation. Remember, as a missionary, they're always looking for avenues of entry. And so they're like totally amazed because this is the very tribe that murdered Stan and Phil. And yet someone in this village just took care of Paul. Uh, and so they're trying to get a grip on this mentally. And so one of the men is going to, uh, Frank, I still don't have his last name, sorry about that. Poor all the descendants of Frank could be a little upset with me for just saying Frank. But Frank is going to have an idea. You see, they took one of the tribe captive. You know, all the other ones got shot. They had one. And they thought that he just got devoured, eaten somewhere. You know, they have no idea what happens when a government, you know, official takes uh, a person off to jail. And he, so this guy's been in prison, and his name is Cell. And so Frank negotiates, and he says, as a goodwill statement, let's bring back Cell and give an give a thanksgiving, give a gift to Kusaho for, you know, just try and speak the language as quickly as we can to show that we mean goodwill towards them. We see what they did and we want to honor that. So they land with Sel now. So this is quite a, you know, there's a lot going on here. Moments later, they landed in the center of Kibi village. Frank unsnapped Sel's seatbelt, helped him out of the hovering craft and let him out from under the whirling props. Kusaho and a few others stood at a distance, leaning against the strong wind created by the fearful machine. When the Yali saw their friend Cell running to them, their eyes opened wide in surprise. They ran forward and embraced him. Frank waved to catch their attention, then deposited a pig, a number of steel axes, and some knives on the ground as gifts for Kusaho and for any who helped him to take care of Paul. And I've always thought that's another one of those funny things that it's like you bring a pig with you and set out a pig like what's the language of the yali but a pig and uh but it's a very very precious thing so what kusaho is recognizing is that they understand they're even going to say by name who he is then he climbed back into the copter and immediately the pilot lifted up and out of the wickboon bowl racing against fast clothing closing weather in the valley below kusaho watched the helicopter vanish among the clouds Listen to what Kusaho is going to say to himself. They understand now, he beamed. At last they know who I am. They know I love them, and they have responded to me with love. And so what we see is something happening here that is totally inexplicable. It is what we could call an act of God. There has been a lot of loss, a lot of pain, but there is a movement of grace that comes through that loss and through that pain. We as Christians want to avoid loss and we want to avoid grief and we want to avoid pain, but for whatever reason, the gospel seems to be catalyzed and to move forward in this world in and through pain, in and through suffering, in and through challenge. And it's like the wave that carries a surfer. And we could either be, have it crash upon us or we could ride along the top of it in faith. And say, yes, there still is this powerful wave of suffering, but guess what? I'm going to choose to trust that God uses this instead of let it crash upon me and break my neck. Thousands of Christians around the world were praying daily for the time when the killers of Stan Dale and Phil Masters would surrender to the love of Jesus Christ. We knew it was only a matter of time, but which time? Have you ever had that thought too? Have you ever had the statement, it's only a matter of time. There's no way that you could be praying this much and have someone hold out. But the timing of things isn't always as fast as we want. Have you ever noticed that you're a good storyteller of how God should do things? God, okay, if you're going to do it my way, what you should do is this and this and this. And I don't know, if, if we could compare notes, how often has God done exactly what you had prescribed? I don't know if he ever has in my life. And here's what I could say. He always does better. It's exceedingly and abundantly beyond all I'm dreaming of, 
But it's funny because I don't like that always. I sort of would feel better if my simple idea he could just adopt, you know, because it, it, it just brings more peace in the process. I don't really like the tumult that I have to walk through in God's way, which involves a lot of faith. And can I just have it easier than that? You see, the rewards of faith are great, and the importance of faith is so significant. We knew it was only a matter of time, but which time? We wanted to go in at the right moment, not too early and not too late. So they have this sense that they need to go back in. Remember, this is one of the most dangerous places on earth right now. I mean, what, how they treated Stan and uh, Phil, could you imagine being a wife of one of the people that's choosing to go back in? I mean, how do you know? Well, they took care of Paul. We gave them a gift. I mean, is that enough for you as a wife to say, yeah, honey, why don't you go in there and check it out? This is an intense situation. For although Kusaho and his brothers had shown kindness to Paul Newman, how could we be sure of a welcome from other families and clans in the Seng? So this is, I'm skipping for. this is a key moment in the storyline. Guess where I have been, Luliop? Luliop is one of the key characters from the Yali side that's been a part of this whole drama. Uh, Wayo exclaimed, the Seng Valley. I told the people there not to be afraid. I assured them that the government planned no further action against them. I told them that all the villages in the Helic Valley have welcomed teachers of the gospel. And I said, if you too want teachers, let me know, and I'll pass on the word to Luliop. What did they say? Luliop asked eagerly. Kusaho said he wants you to come. And the others? I know of no one in Kibi Village who would attack you, even though they still don't understand what the gospel is all about. I can't be sure about the other villages you will have to pass on your way. Weo said thoughtfully, I think the time has come, Luliop said. Weo, I've never even been to the Sang Valley on foot. Will you show me the way? Indeed I will. When do you want to make the journey? Everyone in Luliop's uh, world is going to have an outcry saying you're, you're the craziest man on earth to go in there. And yet, who were these men discipled by? Stanley Dale. Daring to do as Stanley Dale. These men came to Christ through Stanley Dale. How do you think they're going to live out their Christianity? We're going in. Seven of them, seven Yalis, are going to go into the most dangerous place on earth, and they're going to follow in the footsteps of the one who taught them. Incredible story. Crossing the Sang Pass at 10,000 feet, seven potential martyrs descended quickly to Rocky Yendol Beach, where two piles of white cane shafts still served as tombstones for Stan and Phil. Pressing on, they passed boldly through the midst of Sengabut village, now partially rebuilt. Wickboon tribesmen burst out from their yoguas to stare at them uncertainly, heavy brows beating with concern. No one raised a hand against them. Walking straight and tall under a bright mountain sun, the seven climbed a steep slope beneath ponderous scrutiny from Wallahavak and Bahabal villages. Finally, they walked unscathed into Kibi village, where Kusaho welcomed them. Stay with me. Tomorrow I will kill a pig and stage a feast in your honor. You must tell me two things. First, where is that little boy who fell out of the sky right into my lap? And second... What is this message called the gospel? Is it really a more authentic guide than the Wenamelelech? That's the Kenbu spirits uh, tradition. What is it about the gospel that made those two duongs determined to come here, even at the risk of their lives? Luliap smiled, scratched Kusaho under the chin, and began his reply. The gospel has now come to the Sang village. At the entrance to Kibi village, Kusaho stood, his arms outstretched in welcome. So this is later. Don Richardson is going to return, and this is his personal encounter with Kusaho. At the entrance of, to Kibi village, Kusaho stood, his arms outstretched in welcome. I realized when I saw him that what I had imagined was true. Weighed in the light of cultural differences, Kusaho must be regarded as one of the most unique human beings on earth. In his untaught compassion towards strangers, 
his clear-sighted anticipation of unknown truth, and his willingness to differ from the majority, Kusaho towered above his peers higher, perhaps, than many great men in our culture have towered above us. Isn't that an incredible statement? This man was unique in the storyline of history. Seems to be set apart, uniquely crafted. He was willing to be different than his tribe. And as a result, the gospel is going to come to his tribe. What was needed was a Kusaho. What was needed for this story to unfold is we need a Stanley Dale. We need a Phil Masters. We need a Luliop. We need a Kusaho. We need a Newman family and a Menno. We need a little Paul Newman. The delicacy of this process of reaching a hardened people with the truth and what's going to happen as a result is the gospel is going to be, become just like a wildfire through these valleys. And the Yali people are going to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is, if you were to look at it on paper when you start out the story of the Yali people, you're like, there is no way. There is no way. And just even a few months earlier, there is no way. And yet, there is a way. I don't know what your perspective is on the current times in which we live, but hope in a future is a very rare thing right now. Very few people have confidence that God has a plan even. And yet God always has a plan. What do you think he's doing? He had a plan long before the enemy came up with his. God always is in control and God wins. Let's remember that. If it's not proven in and through this story, which is so unlikely, so uh, riddled with challenge, why should we ever conclude that our God is defeated, our God is beaten, that our God somehow has no opportunity anymore to do what our great God does? Our God is the resurrection and the life. He is the redeemer. He is able and desirous. And in the end, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, thank you for Kusaho. Thank you for that man and what he did. Lord, may we be Kusahos in our generation. Gaining a bit of perspective. So this is something I read, I want to say even the first episode in the series, The Legend Makers. Future historian, this is Don Richardson in the foreword for a book called The Time, The People Time Forgot. Future historians of Christianity will remember the advance of the gospel into central Irian Jaya as one of the greatest breakthroughs in the saga of our faith. In spite of awesome geographical barriers and the imponderability of Irian Jaya's complex languages and Stone Age cultures, a relative handful of missionaries have established some 1,400 churches in less than 25 years. These thriving tribal congregations average at least 200 members each. They are pastored entirely by tribal church leaders and are already sending their own cross-cultural missionaries to other tribes. In fact, they have sent out approximately one such missionary for every 80 church members. It would not surprise me if investigation revealed that to be an all-time historical record for missionary zeal. Something very, very special is happening in this territory of the world. Meanwhile, when this is even starting, it's the rise of Hitler. The rise of Hitler, and the world is distracted with self-preservation. Meanwhile, there's a few missionaries on earth that are saying, but there are lost souls in the island of Papua New Guinea. Lord, send me there. <laughs> Who's thinking about that? Especially God. God has world crisis to deal with. He doesn't have time to deal with the Yali people in Papua New Guinea. I mean, come on, let's be fair. I mean, God has Hitler to deal with. I mean, I, you can't deal with this lost people living in their Stone Age, you know, lostness. They've been lost for thousands of years. We'll just leave them lost for a little longer until we sort of solve the whole Hitler dilemma. In the midst of that, God is going to begin a movement of grace towards this people. I just think that's extraordinary, that God sees the small people, the little Kusahos, and he cares about them. And they hunger for truth in the gospel. There's two sides to this. One is the Kusaho preparation and the willingness for a Kusaho in the midst of a darkened generation to actually risk his life to go after the gospel. That's part of it. 
But there's another part of it too, and it's the Standale side. The Standale who's willing to leave all comfort and go to find the Kusahos and risk everything, even be bludgeoned with a, a hundred arrows if necessary so that Kusaho could be reached. Job 19.25, for I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. So my question to you is, do you know that? Do you know that your Redeemer lives? So the dedication I gave in the beginning of this uh, series is deserving of being brought up again. This series is dedicated to the hundreds of men and women and their children that have given up everything to follow Jesus into the treacherous islands of New Guinea in order to shine the light of the gospel. The highest honor is due to these bold pioneers, these audacious commandos for their bravery, ingenuity, and love. And the mission societies that had the vision back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s to train and prepare missionaries for this land when this trailblazing work was in its infancy, my applause is given. C&MA, Christian Missionary Alliance, RBMU, Regions Beyond Missionary Union, UFM, Unevangelized Field Mission, TEAM, the, Evangel the Evangelical Alliance Mission, APCM, the Asian Pacific Christian Mission, and ABMS, the Australian Baptist Mission Society, and MAF, Missionary Aviation Fellowship. May your example, like the wake of a large and powerful steamer, move this next generation forward with similar missionary fervor under the shorelines of gospel adventure. And special thanks are due. I especially want to express my personal gratitude to three particular heroes found in this series, Darlene Deibler, Don Richardson, and Stanley Dale. Three Christians that have pressed an indelible mark upon my soul and whose testimonies have powerfully impacted and influenced my life. I know you did what you did for Jesus, but somehow I feel like you also did it for me. Thank you. This is the missionary motto of Stanley Dale that we've read at the conclusion of each of the ones I have given. Going enthusiastically, sharing courageously, serving sacrificially, suffering joyfully, dying triumphantly. And to finish, 23 Stanley Dale prayers. These are good guys. Each one matching one of the episodes in the series. First one, Lord, prepare me for the heavenly call. Two, Lord, refine my taste buds for all heavenly delicacies. Three, Lord, season me, toughen me, and prepare me for all difficulty. Four, Lord, may I be preoccupied with that which preoccupies you. Five, Lord, may I uncover that which is in the thicket for my Sawi tribe. Six, Lord, may I be a doer and not just a hearer. Lord, show me clearly that I am never out of your sight. Eight, Lord, may I stand when others sit. Nine, Lord, fill me with the spirit of boldness. Ten, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Eleven, Lord, burden me with what burdens you. 12, Lord, show me my role in this grand adventure. 13, Lord, convert my weakness into strength. 14, Lord, reveal your power to this generation. 15, Lord, may I decrease that you might increase. 16, Lord, here I am, send me. 17, Lord, bring back the old school readiness. 18, Lord, build that heavenly doggedness in me. 19, Lord, may fear never again have say over my life. 20, Lord, may I grasp the fact that in Christ I am unstoppable. 21, Lord, make me like gold refined in the fire. 22, Lord, may I live today as Stanley Dale died. 23, Lord, may I always remember that my Redeemer lives. Oh, Father, thank you for this testimony of the saints. It's the testimony of the ancient church from Christ throughout all the last 2,000 years. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Lord, you triumph in and through our sacrifice, in and through our givenness, in and through our yieldedness. And so, Lord Jesus, here we are, your church in the year 2021, living in under, in under the, the specter and the scowl of darkness. Lord, may we be believers. May we know that our Redeemer lives, and he will stand on the earth in the last day. Lord, that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we declare to the highest heaven, the lowest hell, watch what our God will do. Lord, you are faithful, and we trust that. We dedicate this series to you. It's for your glory, honor, and praise, and I pray that many would be raised up to reach the unreached and dare to do as Stanley Dale.
It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.